Hello, I'm your host, Larry Bennett, and you're listening to the Future of Publishing podcast series. This series is brought to you by Norcompo, a leader in typesetting and digital services for 50 years in collaboration with Publishers Weekly. Production is provided by BookBuddy Media, a leading supplier of audiobook services. This series gives listeners a wide range of perspectives by industry leaders who share their experiences and who enlighten us on their vision of the future of publishing. So, let's get started. Good morning. I'm Larry Bennett, and welcome to Nor Compose, the Future of Publishing podcast, uh, in collaboration with Publishers Weekly and with technical support from BookBuddy Media. Uh, with me today is Steve Potash, our guest, and the CEO of uh, Overdrive, Inc. Now, Steve founded Overdrive in 1986, and uh, from that vision, uh, and Steve is a serial entrepreneur, uh, a milestone was reached uh, last year, one billion, that's one billion checkouts from libraries worldwide of electronic books and audio books. Now, Steve currently serves as CEO and president in 2015, he engineered the sale of the company to Rakuten, the $23 billion Japanese internet giant. And he's been executive uh, officer of Rakuten since April of 2016. He's led Overdrive into many strategic relationships with companies such as Microsoft, Adobe Systems, and hundreds of others. And he served as president of the International Digital Publishing Forum, which is the international standards body that puts together standards for uh, EPUBs and electronic books. Uh, he's been, since the 1980s, he's been involved in creating early format of electronic books before they were called ebooks, uh, working with major publishers on those endeavors uh, be before even there was a Kindle or anything uh, like it. Now, uh, Overdrive, just to give a little background, manages the largest network of of uh, digital lending libraries uh, in the in the world, with over forty thousand public libraries as customers servicing uh, libraries and, and schools worldwide in over seventy two countries, and with a highly dominant market share of ebooks and audiobooks distributed to U.S. public libraries. So, good morning, Steve. Thanks, Larry. Happy to be here. Did I uh, get that background straight? It is a uh, Good summary of the journey that we are still on. Absolutely, after 31 years, is that, is that correct? Well, 31 years ago, I envisioned the day when uh, a reader interested in learning or enjoying book content would be able to find it uh, very easily in an electronic format. And in the early days, it was sitting in front of a PC and inserting a floppy disk. We had a lot of fun during the CD-ROM era, and by early 90s, when the online world emerged, uh, I knew things would really start to blossom. And uh, following up on, uh, on that, Steve, as president of the IDPF, which sets the EPUB standards, you had a very strong hand in setting the direction for future EPUB development, correct? Mm -hmm. Well, in 99, when there was a first wave of what was, let's call it, early ebook investment. It was at the time that the uh, Apple Newton, the Palm Pilot, it was a PDA-led era 
well before today's smartphones. But the PDAs also were then followed around 99-2000 with some of the first e-ink devices, the Rocketbook, the Softbook. And trade publishers and booksellers and, and Silicon Valley and Microsoft all got very active investing at that time, thinking this was going to be the consumer electronic book uh, beginnings. So I was proud to be part of a early team that got together in 99 to discuss how can we create open industry standards that might promote how publishers, authors, booksellers, and, and device manufacturers might be able to benefit from common open formats for electronic books. That was in 99. Well, th thanks to that ongoing work, uh, we got to EPUB 2, then EPUB 3, and as you've said many times, the EPUB 3 offers many features and capabilities that uh, give readers an enhanced reading experience versus just the print book. Uh, so where do you think that's going, Steve? Do you see future EPUB development over the next 10 years with uh, AR, virtual reality? Will that be enough to restart ebooks market share, which has plateaued? Well, Larry, first of all, let me indicate that the, the promise of electronic books is not necessarily about what potential bells and whistles we can add. First and foremost, at Overdrive and myself, we are advocates of reading in any and all format. Mm -hmm. I love print books, but I also love to have any time access to books that I'm interested in at that time, whether it's for my own information or career or helping me in my business. But I honestly believe that while I will respond to some of the opportunities to expand the capabilities of a digital book and digital content. I don't want to lose sight of the fact that books and reading need champions and advocates. Books and reading are being diluted by all of these other forms of media. And it's, it's understandable how kids with a smartphone or a tablet or you know, ubiquitous connectivity are doing many, many other things that are not reading. So yes, EPUB 3 has been a good uh, next step to make an electronic book that can show up on your phone, on your tablet, or on your screen at work, a much more robust and dynamic way to engage with the content. But at its core, the printed word is the primary product and while I, I will discuss how, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality, interactivity, multimedia, adaptive, AI, provide all kinds of potential extensions of the engagement with the reader, I want to put that to the side and talk about how reading in books, long-form immersive reading of novels, of stories, is a product that digital books helps promote. It's not just for competing with the games and the social media crowd. We want children, we want readers of all ages to appreciate the enjoyment and the satisfaction of a good book. And that makes all the sense in the world, Steve. Uh, one area where maybe some of those bells and whistles can come into play is in the educational mm -hmm. space. And I know that Overdrive has made 
and is making an aggressive move into the school market, especially in the United States, from what I've seen. And I'm just wondering, where do you see uh, ebooks role, especially with some of those bells and whistles we talked about in the future, uh, influencing education or enhancing educational opportunities? And, and Larry, I, I appreciate that question because I honestly believe that in the classroom, and I'm going to focus more on K-12, primary, secondary, from pre-K through high school, the opportunity to expand the EPUB format, the opportunity to innovate and experiment with how readers and students benefit from content on the screen, this is where there's unbelievable fertile opportunity, and it's today. For example, I'm proud of the success we enjoy with most public libraries here in North America. And we are providing, with the support of publishers and authors and even retail bookstores, the community to promote discovery and appreciation of books and reading. But when we get into the classroom, the opportunities or the challenges we have are many. And we're just at the early stages of trying to test and measure where a digital book with some additional enhancements or features can deliver success. Success for the student, success for the educator, success for the district. So for example, right now we're actively involved in integrating discovery, access, and utilization of the digital book within the learning management systems of the school district. We want teachers, educators, heads of curriculum to know that they can not only curate a collection appropriate for their students, but they can actually personalize it down to the individual student. Really? Adaptive reading experiences, assignment of particular titles to a particular either grade or individual student, and then we are introducing a new student reading app called Sora, which is now just coming into early pilot. It measures the student progress for every title they open. The student is aware of it, but quite frankly, we've developed a form of gamification or achievements where the student is rewarded for making progress through any assigned book and at the same time, encourage them to explore and read books that aren't assigned, just to promote their love or discovery of stories and reading. The school market, I would say, the two or three areas of most active uh, R&D or development from our team is integrating with the fabric of the school district so that we can follow a student's assignments, measure their reading progress, report to the student, potentially to the parent and the educator, how students are benefiting from access to the books and the content. So these are invaluable tools for the teacher, the poor underpaid and undervalued teacher, in my opinion, in our society, to really do a better job um, with the same amount of effort. Well, and that's just one component, but I would say the top priority is if there is a transition, as we've seen in other book markets, from the print and the physical 
to an electronic resource of a digital learning object? How can we make the discovery and the access and availability of the right book at the right time to the right student? So that's integrating with the student and the learning systems. That's number one. Number two, there's a tremendous amount of investment on trying to measure outcomes in the classroom. Are the tools, are the, cont are the curriculum materials delivering results that can be measured for student progress, either with literacy, reading level, understanding of the material. And so here's a second area of innovation. By capturing or promoting to the student integrated access, whether it's a dictionary, whether it's collaboration tools with others to form study groups around particular chapters of the book they're assigned, whether it's creating direct communication while in the reading app with the teacher for questions I may have or, or messaging to other members of my study group. These are exciting areas that we're investing in now. Absolutely. And Steve, is there any research to show that this also increases the amount of time that the kids will devote to reading? Well, when our app is out in the market for a few years, we'll have the actual reading data. Now, I will say, when I talk about reading, it also includes audiobooks. It also includes text-to-speech and other ways that students can benefit from the content. So, globally, one of the, for, for the pre-K to, let's say, you know, the early readers, mm -hmm. we are tremendously excited about the success of what we call read-alongs. So, these are digital books that the publisher has invested in, bundling along with, which many of them are colorful picture books, but they have bundled with it and synchronized either professional narration or sound effects so that the words are being highlighted or the story is being told as the pages are turning and a user is directing their progress through the story. If they have problem with the word, they can tap on the word and listen to its pronunciation. Tremendous value for new readers, early readers. It's being utilized for English language learning, either in the classroom here as English as a second language. It's certainly globally creating opportunity for publishers to take their picture books, their early readers, even chapter books, and now create a synchronized e and audio product that really enables the option of hearing the words while they're reading them on the page. And has there been a good adoption of, or acceptance of this by libraries and schools in the United States? I would say that our read-along catalog, which comes from dozens of publishers and is in the thousands from many of the major children's publishers, including Scholastic and HarperCollins Children and Learner and many others, is in many cases the opening collections of these young, uh, for these young readers in pre-K through, you know, third grade. And, the, and these uh, uh, specialized, these read-alouds, they can be read through the OverDrive app called Libby? Well, we've developed our platform and our digital books and our audiobooks to be utilized on anything with a screen and a connection 
or for the audio, anything that would play an MP3 file. So this includes our newest app called Libby. Libby has uh, been the most successful introductory introduction of a new reading app and audiobook player in the company's history, L-I-B-B-Y, available on all of the you know app stores and, and mobile devices. But more than that, when we were challenged with how do we introduce very young children, four, five, six years old, either in a pre-K or kindergarten setting, to benefit from a read-along or a digital book, our technology enables these titles to run without an app, without logging in. In the classroom, if the children are directed to go pick up a tablet or go to a media lab in front of a screen, they can touch the book they want, and it's called Overdrive Read and Overdrive Listen. Without an app, the child can select a book and start to enjoy either the written word or the audio. Well, I can tell you have a passion for uh, education, and that's great. I have a library question for you. Many of our listeners are, are, are curious about um, a lot of publishers are still worried that a library lending of ebooks will cannibalize sales of those same titles, which would reduce their overall revenue. What would you say to those critics, and is there any empirical evidence or research to show the opposite? Well, Larry, thanks for that question, and I will tell you that for the 15 years that Overdrive has been evangelizing the benefits to authors, agents, and publishers of having their books discoverable and available for potential lending from libraries, it's exactly the opposite. I can tell you that in prior years, we actually participated in the UK for a two-year study sponsored by the Publishing Association, where several trade publishers took 50% of their front list books and made them available to London libraries for lending and discovery, and withheld half of their front list during that same period. Following this two-year experiment, they did analysis with the cooperation of all the retail bookstores, the Waterstones, WH Smiths, and others, and the publisher's own sales data of retail print, retail ebook. And they found zero, zero cannibalization or erosion for books that were available for library discovery and lending. And I will tell you, I am now working with a cross industry group of independent booksellers major trade publishers <coughs> and the library communities and we are developing a large data set to study the impact of that when public library catalogs have one or multiple records for an author's work good things happen outside the library we know that the significant majority of folks that discover a title through a library catalog never borrow it they really? discover it and for many reasons they don't have a library card at that catalog they don't want it to expire they don't want digital or they you know they want a book that they can without time limits and many of them use a library for recommendations and then go purchase a book we certainly have data showing that popular titles that are not available leads to travel to the local bookstore or online book sales, both for print and for digital. And by um, 
Later this year, we will be publishing some of the research findings that is being uh, participated through publishing their associations and, and independent booksellers and how libraries can promote traffic and retail sales of both print and digital as a result of their catalog holdings. That's, uh, that's fascinating stuff, Steve. Uh, talk, continuing to talk about libraries, um, we've seen tremendous evolution, and you more than anybody seen tremendous evolution of libraries' role and function in society in the past 20 years. Where do you see that going in the future? Well, I believe that we are witnessing a, rec a recognition by the nation's libraries that their ability to improve the community, service their citizens, is evolving. We associate libraries with books, and that is a sacred service that they continue to invest in and want to be the source of literacy for the youngest readers to adult education and support for everyone in all stages of their life and their family and their career. So we're never going to see any more passionate advocate for books, reading, and literacy than our nation's libraries. But in many markets, they provide unbelievable community centers that are now being transformed to supply the changing opportunities to serve our communities. Two or three examples include, under the banner of Libraries Transform, whether it's supporting entrepreneurs who can come in and learn about 3D printing or maker spaces or connect with other resources to help them start a business. Libraries are transforming to provide a center for getting your passport or trying to continue or get your GED or high school equivalent exam. Libraries are transforming to become centers for online and computer literacy financial literacy. I'll be on Capitol Hill as part of a contingent of the American Library Association Legislative Day, helping to educate our legislators that for every dollar, every tax dollar that goes into our nation's public libraries, it produces over $4 of economic lift to that community as libraries are opening their doors with public internet terminals for those who don't have Wi-Fi or access to broadband at home and are trying to get a job, prepare a resume, or communicate with a prospective employer. Today, libraries are realizing that they are, in some cases, first responders for the things that matter for us. And for all those that are looking for a non-judgmental, open public space for whatever reason they want to, for their own personal enrichment or their own to support themselves, their career, their family. Our nation's libraries, their doors are open. Now, uh, you have a unique perspective uh, selling into 72 different countries. What about the role of libraries in, in, in third world countries? Do you see that evolving? Do you, do you see that changing? Well, I can tell you, Larry, with the uh, benefit of supporting uh, libraries and, more important, librarians 
First and foremost, most of the world looks to the U.S. for leadership. Well, I can tell you that outside the U.S. there's a tremendous amount of respect for the innovation and the tremendous uh, success that we witness with our partnership with Toronto Public Library with 100 branches, the success and innovation by the National Library of Singapore serving that community of five million citizens, both public libraries and promoting reading in the classroom and the schools. But for most of the emerging markets, they look at the U.S. public library system and aspire to deliver the kind of benefits to their communities that they see in the U.S. Um, so there's a lot that we share as I travel or present at international library events and conferences about the trends and how public libraries utilizing in some cases limited you know funding and budgets are learning new ways to make themselves important part of their community for for all, for all members great um Steve, I want to ask you a question, uh, a general industry question. Um, we've seen some tremendous consolidation among retail book outlets and among publishers in the past 10, 20 years. Where do you see that going in the future? What will our industry look like 10, 15 years, 20 years from now? Well, Larry, um, you know, thanks to companies like NordCompo, there's a new opportunity for any author or any aspiring author to tell their story and have it published and distributed worldwide. So while on one end, at the high end, industries all over the world are consolidating and there are mergers and acquisitions and roll-ups because of the overhead, you know, established businesses have with the cost of doing business in the print world, the cost of doing business in the global world, printing, shipping, and supporting your products. On the other end of the spectrum though, we're about to enter and we are seeing the emergence of huge audiences and readerships and the ability to monetize through self-publishing, through communities around interest and topics such as short stories at Wattpad, or the services that the Smashwords and the Kobo Writing Life offer any author. And they are providing services for anyone to get their story told in print, in ebook, available domestically or globally. So I think we're going to continue to see um, pressure at the top. There will be additional consolidation, especially by vertical. The segments of academic publishing, educational publishing, religious publishing, children's publishing, there will continue to be some consolidation there. Sure, absolutely. I have a question for you about Overdrive. You engineered the sale of the company in 2015. After almost 30 years, now you're part of something much, 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 much bigger. How has that changed Overdrive and how will that change Overdrive over the coming years? Well, Larry, I'm proud to say that with our current parent, Rakuten, and their 
fabulous chairman and founder, an unbelievable entrepreneur and a success story, Hiroshi Mikitani, known as Mickey. We are enjoying the best of both worlds. This wasn't the first time I personally either raised money or brought in uh, investor, strategic or financial. Mm -hmm. In 2011, here in New York, we became a portfolio company for Inside Venture Partners. And for four years, we benefited dramatically from the success and the professionalism that helped us continue to grow. And by the way, I'm, I'm proud to say that we, for over about 20 years now, have enjoyed year-over-year, double-digit, profitable growth. So it wasn't that we needed the money. We were debt-free, growing, very profitable. But I kept seeking where would be the best set of additional resources to allow us to achieve our mission. And our mission is plain and simple. The vision statement of Rakuten Overdrive is a world enlightened by reading. We want to serve readers worldwide the ability to discover and benefit from the written word. So in 2011, seeing that our success was starting to provide abilities to go global, possibly start to invest in the education space, which is a very challenging and dynamic and large, the ed tech market, we took an investment. But with private equity, they usually have more of a limited you know window of of holding an investment of course so by 2015 in that i was excited to lead the overdrive mission on a 10 or 20 year growth plan we started to look for a strategic partner who would enable us to do that and that's what happened with our uh, partnership with Rakuten. Great, and uh, maybe this is a more personal question, but you drove an effort to make uh, Overdrive a certified B Corp. Mm -hmm. Could you explain what that means and what that means to you? Well, thanks, Larry, for that question. During the last almost 15 years, I learned that there is no better way to spend my time than to help partner and support the unbelievable mission of our nation's librarians and now educators in the classroom. And so we have deeply committed the company and its priorities to the social work that these public institutions and these world-class uh, public servants deliver every day. So during the course of constantly trying to challenge ourselves to empower and enable these public agencies to deliver for those who need the services? How can we best commit ourselves to doing always the right thing? I was actually at a philanthropy seminar on a personal note a number of years ago, learning from some of the top foundations on how they measure success for the grant making they do to social agencies. And it was at that time where I was introduced to this movement known as Benefit Corporation or B Corp. And how philanthropists and even some of the private equity and venture community highly valued private companies, profitable companies, who would be willing to audit and demonstrate a commitment to doing good 
for the community. And that is what the B Corp mission is. Like a Ben and Jerry's. Ben and Jerry's is very well known. Pantagonia, Etsy, Kickstarter. I'm proud to say last year Overdrive became a certified B Corp going through a rigorous process and of the tens of millions of businesses on our planet, we are now one of only about 2,300 companies who have achieved that status that we are not only promising to do the right thing, but our commitment to the environment, our commitment to the community, our commitment to our team and, and, and our workforce, and our transparency and our business practices are all things that we've subject ourselves to audit and approval. Congratulations, Steve. That's, that, that's just remarkable. And I, I've had the actual pleasure of visiting your headquarters. And, you know, it's a 31-year-old company, and, but you walk around and it feels like a startup. Mm -hmm. And I was just so surprised that you have these open spaces, you have yoga classes, you have employee training. What's up with that? What's, what's the thinking there, Steve? Well, Larry, uh, one of my philosophies has always been we invest in our team and we invest in our partners. And if we were to attract and retain the best and the brightest, and again, Overdrive's headquarters in Northeast Ohio, when I was first starting and I traveled to the East and the West Coast and told folks that we were a digital book world leader from Cleveland, Ohio, <laughs> it was uh, not expected based on you know our, our our reputation for innovation and quality sure but to but to attract and retain we invest in our team so we've created kind of a little mini googleplex in northeast ohio that is designed to not only promote work-life balance but create a sense of community around the mission we are which is supporting the education and the spread of books and reading and literacy. So I'm very proud of the fact that we do have um, a culture at the company that has worked to help promote our, our, our mission as a business. Well, Steve, you're, you're a, an entrepreneur supreme. You're a tinkerer. You're an inventor. You're a technologist. So given that, what kind of new content could you imagine would be created in the future that maybe 20 years from now that would like transform books or enhance what we have today? Well, I think one of the, the, the current areas of R&D and innovation that will start to come is we are operating in a global economy. We are embracing readers from all cultures and all languages. So I expect in the next few years, all content will be instantly multilingual and innovation will help drive those capabilities and it will create challenges and disrupt some existing businesses. But right now with AI, natural language processing, uh, the home assistance of Alexa or Google, we will be enjoying the ability to discover and appreciate the world's greatest literature emanating from any place in the world. I'm spending a lot of time now developing a market for our U.S. and English language Western publishers in China, People's Republic of China. They have a tremendous thirst 
for anything in the English language and they already know and appreciate most of our popular culture. But they also feel how can they expose the rest of the world to the benefit of contemporary Chinese authors and Chinese poets and Chinese storytelling. But that's just one example. So when you ask me to imagine in 10 or 20 years what's going to be different, I think we're going to have the ability to discover, enjoy, appreciate, and learn about all cultures. Because the publisher and the author and the editor will not have that barrier to getting their work out in any language. We see it now. We have a sister company at Rakuten called Viki, V-I-K-I, and they have popularized Korean sitcoms and streaming television. It's, it's extraordinarily popular all over, the, all over the world. Really? But they have a technology that if you're watching this Korean sitcom, you can pick a language and the subtitles are available in about a hundred languages to enjoy this content. Wow. They're now expanding that to a learn mode. So you can actually use that to learn Korean or whatever language you're interested in learning. I think this is going to uh, start to extend into the education space and eventually into popular literature. So we're, we're now today, it, it maybe costs ten or twenty thousand dollars to have a book translated into one individual language you're saying that the technology will be good enough in 10 or 20 years uh, where you won't need to spend that money it won't be that long it's not 10 or 20 years natural language voice processing text-to-speech we will see publishers starting to enable these to come together there will be new challenges and rights and permissions and um, it will disrupt some of the current landscape a bit. But this is one area where technology will converge and present opportunities for anyone with a voice to reach readers all over the world, no matter what their natural or their local language is. So it's coming sooner than that. So, Steve, I'm detecting that uh, you feel pretty bullish about the book industry in general. It'll change, but it, it's not going away, it's not going to suffer, it's not going to stagnate. Is that your feeling? Well, I am optimistic by nature, but I also want all of your listeners and all of those interested in the future of books and reading to realize it has to happen by having promoters and champions. And there is no better promoter or champion of books and reading than our public librarians or those that are educating the next generation of customers for their products. We need to support in every level, every campaign for literacy, early childhood literacy, English as a second language, adult literacy. The challenge of our illiterate nation is staggering. It is. And I don't want to go into all the depressing statistics, but I'm proud to say that we have librarians on staff at Overdrive who are just focusing on providing access to digital books in our nation's prisons and helping those that are trying to educate themselves or prepare themselves for life after incarceration to give them access to the books that they need 
to enable them to succeed when they have that next uh, transition. That is just one of the hundreds of ways that our nation's librarians and our schools and technologists are trying to discover how we can promote a love of reading, long-form immersive reading. This is something we're dedicated to. And that's, that's terrific, Steve. And, you know, one of the things that I, as a parent of a 14-year-old girl and just starting out in high school, uh, worry about all the time is you look at the statistics of how we as a nation perform education-wise versus other developed countries or even some underdeveloped countries. Do, do, do you feel that uh, there's a good opportunity through some of what you've been talking about for us to improve this, to to get higher in those statistics, do a better job? Well, if we have the support of funding, both at the national, at the state, and at the local levels, if as a society we prioritize education and literacy, absolutely. But sometimes it feels like the role of the school teacher or the value of that local library is underappreciated and marginalized. We just need to get our priorities straight. And for all those that are enjoying the benefits of our growing economy and the career choices they have made, they have to just only realize how they got there. And we have so many others that can lift themselves up to the next level of success for themselves and their family and their career if we provide easy access to the right tools and books and reading are just the base of all of that and overdrive is a strong part of that and i think that's great um there's one question we're asking all of our interviewees um, a simple question, but maybe it's not a simple answer. What advice, Steve, would you give to a young person just entering our industry today? Well, it's a big industry. And so if that is an individual who wants to create content, I would say start now. Tell your story. Determine who your audience is. And what are the options for you to get the word out, which are very and now even more affordable? If it's a young entrepreneur with a interest in technology or, you know, computer science, I have learned that our success is always rooted in solving a problem. Find a problem if you are a technologist. Because I've had more failures in the ebook business than anyone, I believe, because I, as they say, I swung, swung at a lot of pitches over the last few decades. But the reason that we are so successful in our institutional markets for schools and libraries is because we were given the opportunity to listen for problems and challenges that technology might help alleviate. Find a problem that you can improve on or solve. It could be save time. It could be eliminating uh, wasted um, you know, process. Or it could be reducing the time between when a 
reader needs access to a piece of content and the ability to deliver to them. And, and you'll have the basis of a successful uh, career. So if you uh, have uh, grandchildren and they're saying, should I be a doctor or should I uh, go into something related to publishing or, or, or education? Tough choice, isn't it? Well, no, it's not a tough choice. It is a matter of find your passion. You know, I, I was given a, a, a print book that I recently completed called EKG, I-K-I-G-A-I. And it is a translation of a Japanese work studying the secret to long life and happiness. And one of the themes is you need to find your purpose. And it's not that you have to go discover it. Everyone has a purpose and try and get into what they call the flow where you're at your happiness, where it's your happiest. So all of us need to do, spend a little time and really discover what makes them happy. What would give them the pleasure of going every day, pursuing a opportunity with career or employment that leads them to something that they have a passion about. If it's, and so it could be in any one of many areas and whatever that passion is, that's a career they should pursue. And I think that's uh, great advice, and we'll leave it at that, Steve. And thank you so much for coming into New York to talk to us today and to our listeners. And Well, I can tell you I've had the pleasure of coming to the PW offices now for 30 years to try and uh, <clears throat> pitch whatever we believe was going to be the next uh, opportunity for technology to lift how authors and publishers benefited from electronic publishing. And of course, I uh, appreciate Larry, your work and that of Nord Campo to help promote these opportunities. So thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for listening to this Future of Publishing podcast. Do not hesitate to subscribe to the series. If you like this podcast, you can say it with stars, preferably five, and share it with your friends and colleagues. You can find us on all podcast platforms, including the pre-installed podcast app on iPhones and on Android podcast apps. You can follow us on our webpage, www.nordcompo.com podcast, where you can sign up for our newsletter and check out the full schedule of upcoming podcasts. I'm Larry Bennett. Hope you will catch our next podcast.